Section 24 of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant. Chapter 24. The Army at Pittsburgh Landing. Injured by a Fall. The Confederate Attack at Shiloh. The First Dazed Fight at Shiloh. General Sherman. Condition of the Army. Close of the First Day's Fight. The Second Day's Fight. Retreat and Defeat of the Confederates. When I resumed command on the 17th of March, I found the army divided, about half being on the east bank of the Tennessee at Savannah, while one division was at Crump's Landing on the west bank about four miles higher up, and the remainder at Pittsburgh Landing five miles above Crump's. The enemy was in force at Corinth, the junction of the two most important railroads in the Mississippi Valley, one connecting Memphis and the Mississippi River with the east, and the other leading south to all the cotton states. Still another railroad connects Corinth with Jackson in West Tennessee. If we obtained possession of Corinth, the enemy would have no railroad for the transportation of armies or supplies until that running east from Vicksburg was reached. It was the great strategic position at the west, between the Tennessee and the Mississippi rivers, and between Nashville and Vicksburg. I at once put all the troops at Savannah in motion for Pittsburgh Landing, knowing that the enemy was fortifying at Corinth and collecting an army there under Johnston. It was my expectation to march against that army as soon as Buell, who had been ordered to reinforce me with the Army of the Ohio, should arrive, and the west bank of the river was the place to start from. Pittsburgh is only about twenty miles from Corinth, and Hamburg Landing, four miles further up the river, is a mile or two nearer. I had not been in command long before I selected Hamburg as the place to put the Army of the Ohio when it arrived. The roads from Pittsburgh and Hamburg to Corinth converge some eight miles out. This disposition of the troops would have given additional roads to march over when the advance commenced within supporting distance of each other. Before I arrived at Savannah, Sherman, who had joined the Army of the Tennessee and been placed in command of a division, had made an expedition on steamers, convoyed by gunboats, to the neighborhood of Eastport, thirty miles south, for the purpose of destroying the railroad east of Corinth. The rains had been so heavy for some time before that the lowlands had become impassable swamps. Sherman debarked his troops and started out to accomplish the object of the expedition, but the river was rising so rapidly that the backwater, 
up to small tributaries threatened to cut off the possibility of getting back to the boats and the expedition had to return without reaching the railroad the guns had to be hauled by hand through the water to get back to the boats on the seventeenth of march the army on the tennessee river consisted of five divisions commanded respectively by generals c f smith mcclernand l wallace hurlbut and sherman general w h l wallace was temporarily in command of smith's division general smith as i have said being confined to his bed reinforcements were arriving daily and as they came up they were organized first into brigades then into a division and the command given to general prentiss who had been ordered to report to me general buell was on his way from nashville with forty thousand veterans on the nineteenth of march he was at columbia tennessee eighty-five miles from pittsburgh when all reinforcements should have arrived i expected to take the initiative by marching on corinth and had no expectation of needing fortifications though the subject was taken into consideration mcpherson my only military engineer was directed to lay out a line to entrench he did so but reported that it would have to be made in rear of the line of encampment as it then ran the new line while it would be nearer the river was yet too far away from the tennessee or even from the creeks to be easily supplied with water and in case of attack these creeks would be in the hands of the enemy the fact is i regarded the campaign we were engaged in as an offensive one and had no idea that the enemy would leave strong entrenchments to take the initiative when he knew he would be attacked where he was if he remained this view however did not prevent every precaution being taken and every effort made to keep advised of all movements of the enemy johnston's cavalry meanwhile had been well out towards our front and occasional encounters occurred between it and our outposts on the first of april this cavalry became bold and approached our lines showing that an advance of some kind was contemplated on the second johnston left corinth in force to attack my army on the fourth his cavalry dashed down and captured a small picket guard of six or seven men stationed some five miles out from pittsburgh on the corinth road colonel buckland sent relief to the guard at once and soon followed in person with an entire regiment and general sherman followed buckland taking the remainder of a brigade the pursuit was kept up for some three miles beyond the point where the picket guard had been captured and after nightfall sherman returned to camp and reported to me by letter what had occurred at this time a large body of the enemy was hovering to the west of us along the line of the mobile and ohio railroad my apprehension was much greater for the safety of crump's landing than it was for pittsburgh i had no apprehension that the enemy could really capture either place 
but I feared it was possible that he might make a rapid dash upon Crump's and destroy our transports and stores, most of which were kept at that point, and then retreat before Wallace could be reinforced. Lew Wallace's position I regarded as so well chosen that he was not removed. At this time, I generally spent the day at Pittsburgh and returned to Savannah in the evening. I was intending to remove my headquarters to Pittsburgh, but Buell was expected daily and would come in at Savannah. I remained at this point, therefore, a few days longer than I otherwise should have done in order to meet him on his arrival. The skirmishing in our front, however, had been so continuous from about the 3rd of April that I did not leave Pittsburgh each night until an hour when I felt there would be no further danger before the morning. On Friday the 4th, the day of Buckland's advance, I was very much injured by my horse falling with me and on me while I was trying to get to the front where firing had been heard. The night was one of impenetrable darkness, with rain pouring down in torrents. Nothing was visible to the eye except as revealed by the frequent flashes of lightning. Under these circumstances I had to trust to the horse, without guidance, to keep the road. I had not gone far, however, when I met General W. H. L. Wallace and Colonel, afterwards General, McPherson, coming from the direction of the front. They said all was quiet so far as the enemy was concerned. On the way back to the boat, my horse's feet slipped from under him, and he fell with my leg under his body. The extreme softness of the ground, from the excessive rains of the few preceding days, no doubt saved me from a severe injury and protracted lameness. As it was, my ankle was very much injured, so much so that my boot had to be cut off. For two or three days after, I was unable to walk except with crutches. On the 5th, General Nelson, with a division of Buell's army, arrived at Savannah, and I ordered him to move up the east bank of the river to be in a position where he could be ferried over to Crump's Landing or Pittsburgh as occasion required. I had learned that General Buell himself would be at Savannah the next day, and desired to meet me on his arrival. Affairs at Pittsburgh Landing had been such for several days that I did not want to be away during the day. I determined, therefore, to take a very early breakfast and ride out to meet Buell, and thus save time. He had arrived on the evening of the 5th, but had not advised me of the fact, and I was not aware of it until some time after. While I was at breakfast, however, heavy firing was heard in the direction of Pittsburgh Landing, and I hastened there sending a hurried note to buell informing him of the reason why i could not meet him at savannah on the way up the river i directed the dispatch boat to run in close to crump's landing so that i could communicate with general lew wallace i found him waiting on a boat apparently expecting to see me and i directed him to get his troops in line ready to execute any orders he might receive he replied that his troops were already under arms and prepared to move. 
up to that time i had felt by no means certain that crump's landing might not be the point of attack on reaching the front however about eight a m i found that the attack on pittsburg was unmistakable and that nothing more than a small guard to protect our transports and stores was needed at crump's captain baxter a quartermaster on my staff was accordingly directed to go back and order general wallace to march immediately to pittsburg by the road nearest the river captain baxter made a memorandum of this order about one p m not hearing from wallace and being much in need of reinforcements i sent two more of my staff colonel mcpherson and captain raleigh to bring him up with his division they reported finding him marching towards purdy bethel or some point west from the river and further from pittsburg by several miles than when he started the road from his first position to pittsburg landing was direct and near the river between the two points a bridge had been built across snake creek by our troops at which wallace's command had assisted expressly to enable the troops at the two places to support each other in case of need wallace did not arrive in time to take part in the first day's fight general wallace has since claimed that the order delivered to him by captain baxter was simply to join the right of the army and that the road over which he marched would have taken him to the road from pittsburg to purdy where it crosses owl creek on the right of sherman but this is not where i had ordered him nor where i wanted him to go i never could see and do not now see why any order was necessary further than to direct him to come to pittsburg landing without specifying by what route his was one of three veteran divisions that had been in battle and its absence was severely felt later in the war general wallace would not have made the mistake that he committed on the sixth of april eighteen sixty two i presume his idea was that by taking the route he did he would be able to come around on the flank or rear of the enemy and thus perform an act of heroism that would redound to the credit of his command as well as to the benefit of his country some two or three miles from pittsburgh landing was a log meeting-house called shiloh it stood on the ridge which divides the waters of snake and lick creeks the former emptying into the tennessee just north of pittsburgh landing and the latter south this point was the key to our position and was held by sherman his division was at that time wholly raw no part of it ever having been in an engagement but i thought this deficiency was more than made up by the superiority of the commander mcclernand was on sherman's left with troops that had been engaged at forts henry and donelson and were therefore veterans so far as western troops had become such at that stage of the war next to mcclernand came prentiss with a raw division and on the extreme left stuart with one brigade of sherman's division hurlbut was in rear of prentiss massed and in reserve at the time of the onset 
the division of general c f smith was on the right also in reserve general smith was still sick in bed at savannah but within hearing of our guns his services would no doubt have been of inestimable value had his health permitted his presence the command of his division devolved upon brigadier general w h l wallace a most estimable and able officer a veteran too for he had served a year in the mexican war and had been with his command at henry and donelson wallace was mortally wounded in the first day's engagement and with the change of commanders thus necessarily affected in the heat of battle the efficiency of his division was much weakened the position of our troops made a continuous line from lick creek on the left to owl creek a branch of snake creek on the right facing nearly south and possibly a little west the water in all these streams was very high at the time and contributed to protect our flanks the enemy was compelled therefore to attack directly in front this he did with great vigor inflicting heavy losses on the national side but suffering much heavier on his own the confederate assaults were made with such a disregard of losses on their own side that our line of tents soon fell into their hands the ground on which the battle was fought was undulating heavily timbered with scattered clearings the woods giving some protection to the troops on both sides there was also considerable underbrush a number of attempts were made by the enemy to turn our right flank where sherman was posted but every effort was repulsed with heavy loss but the front attack was kept up so vigorously that to prevent the success of these attempts to get on our flanks the national troops were compelled several times to take positions to the rear nearer pittsburgh landing when the firing ceased at night the national line was all of a mile in rear of the position it had occupied in the morning in one of the backward moves on the sixth the division commanded by general prentiss did not fall back with the others this left his flanks exposed and enabled the enemy to capture him with about two thousand two hundred of his officers and men general badeau gives four o'clock of the sixth as about the time this capture took place he may be right as to the time but my recollection is that the hour was later general prentiss himself gave the hour as half-past five i was with him as i was with each of the division commanders that day several times and my recollection is that the last time i was with him was about half past four when his division was standing up firmly and the general was as cool as if expecting victory but no matter whether it was four or later the story that he and his command were surprised and captured in their camps is without any foundation whatever if it had been true as currently reported at the time and yet believed by thousands of people that prentiss and his division had been captured in their beds there would not have been an all-day struggle 
with the loss of thousands killed and wounded on the Confederate side. With a single exception of a few minutes after the capture of Prentice, a continuous and unbroken line was maintained all day from Snake Creek or its tributaries on the right to Lick Creek or the Tennessee on the left above Pittsburgh. There was no hour during the day when there was not heavy firing and generally hard fighting at some point on the line, but seldom at all points at the same time. It was a case of southern dash against northern pluck and endurance. Three of the five divisions engaged on Sunday were entirely raw, and many of the men had only received their arms on the way from their states to the field. Many of them had arrived but a day or two before, and were hardly able to load their muskets according to the manual. Their officers were equally ignorant of their duties. Under these circumstances, it is not astonishing that many of the regiments broke at the first fire. In two cases, as I now remember, colonels led their regiments from the field on first hearing the whistle of the enemy's bullets. In these cases, the colonels were constitutional cowards, unfit for any military position, but not so the officers and men led out of danger by them. Better troops never went upon a battlefield than many of these officers and men, afterwards proved themselves to be, who fled panic-stricken at the first whistle of bullets and shell at Shiloh. During the whole of Sunday, I was continuously engaged in passing from one part of the field to another, giving directions to division commanders. In thus moving along the line, however, I never deemed it important to stay long with Sherman. Although his troops were then under fire for the first time, their commander, by his constant presence with them, inspired a confidence in officers and men that enabled them to render services on that bloody battlefield worthy of the best of veterans. McClernand was next to Sherman, and the hardest fighting was in front of these two divisions. McClernand told me on that day, the 6th, that he profited much by having so able a commander supporting him. A casualty to Sherman that would have taken him from the field that day would have been a sad one for the troops engaged at Shiloh. And how near we came to this! On the 6th, Sherman was shot twice, once in the hand, once in the shoulder, the ball cutting his coat and making a slight wound, and a third ball passed through his hat. In addition to this, he had several horses shot during the day. The nature of this battle was such that cavalry could not be used in front. I therefore formed ours into line in rear to stop stragglers, of whom there were many. When there would be enough of them to make a show, and after they had recovered from their fright, they would be sent to reinforce some part of the line which needed support, without regard to their companies, regiments, or brigades. On one occasion during the day, I rode back as far as the river and met General Buell, who had just arrived. I do not remember the hour, but at that time there probably were as many as four or five thousand stragglers, 
lying under cover of the river bluff, panic-stricken, most of whom would have been shot where they lay without resistance before they would have taken muskets and marched to the front to protect themselves. This meeting between General Buell and myself was on the dispatch boat used to run between the landing and Savannah. It was brief and related specially to his getting his troops over the river. As we left the boat together, Buell's attention was attracted by the men lying under cover of the river bank. I saw him berating them and trying to shame them into joining their regiments. He even threatened them with shells from the gunboats nearby. But it was all to no effect. Most of these men afterward proved themselves as gallant as any of those who saved the battle from which they had deserted. I have no doubt that this sight impressed General Buell with the idea that a line of retreat would be a good thing just then. If he had come in by the front instead of through the stragglers in the rear, he would have thought and felt differently. Could he have come through the Confederate rear, he would have witnessed there a scene similar to that at our own. The distant rear of an army engaged in battle is not the best place from which to judge correctly what is going on in front. Later in the war, while occupying the country between the Tennessee and the Mississippi, I learned that the panic in the Confederate lines had not differed much from that within our own. Some of the country people estimated the stragglers from Johnston's army as high as 20,000. Of course, this was an exaggeration. The situation at the close of Sunday was as follows. Along the top of the bluff, just south of the log house which stood at Pittsburgh Landing, Colonel J.D. Webster of my staff, had arranged twenty or more pieces of artillery facing south or up the river. This line of artillery was on the crest of a hill overlooking a deep ravine opening into the Tennessee. Hurlbut, with his division intact, was on the right of this artillery, extending west and possibly a little north. McClernand came next in the general line, looking more to the west, his division was complete in its organization and ready for any duty. Sherman came next, his right extending to Snake Creek. His command, like the other two, was complete in its organization and ready, like its chief, for any service it might be called upon to render. All three divisions were, as a matter of course, more or less shattered and depleted in numbers from the terrible battle of the day. The division of W. H. L. Wallace, as much from the disorder arising from changes of division and brigade commanders under heavy fire, as from any other cause, had lost its organization and did not occupy a place in the line as a division. Prentice's command was gone as a division, many of its members having been killed, wounded, or captured but it had rendered valiant services before its final dispersal and had contributed a good share to the defense of shiloh the right of my line rested near the bank of snake creek a short distance above the bridge which had been built by the troops for the purpose of connecting crump's landing and pittsburgh landing 
Sherman had posted some troops in a log house and outbuildings, which overlooked both the bridge over which Wallace was expected and the creek above that point. In this last position Sherman was frequently attacked before night, but held the point until he voluntarily abandoned it to advance in order to make room for Lew Wallace, who came up after dark. There was, as I have said, a deep ravine in front of our left. The Tennessee River was very high, and there was water to a considerable depth in the ravine. Here the enemy made a last desperate effort to turn our flank, but was repelled. The gunboats, Tyler and Lexington, Gwynn and Shirk commanding, with the artillery under Webster, aided the army and effectually checked their further progress. Before any of Buell's troops had reached the west bank of the Tennessee, firing had almost entirely ceased. Anything like an attempt on the part of the enemy to advance had absolutely ceased. There was some artillery firing from an unseen enemy, some of his shells passing beyond us, but I do not remember that there was the whistle of a single musket ball heard. As his troops arrived in the dusk, General Buell marched several of his regiments part way down the face of the hill where they fired briskly for some minutes, but I do not think a single man engaged in this firing received an injury. The attack had spent its force. General Lew Wallace, with 5,000 effective men, arrived after firing had ceased for the day and was placed on the right. Thus night came. Wallace came, and the advance of Nelson's division came, but none, unless night, in time to be of material service to the gallant men who saved Shiloh on that first day against large odds. Buell's loss on the 6th of April was two men killed and one wounded, all members of the 36th Indiana Infantry. The Army of the Tennessee lost on that day at least 7,000 men. The presence of two or three regiments of Buell's army on the west bank before firing ceased had not the slightest effect in preventing the capture of Pittsburgh Landing. So confident was I before firing had ceased on the 6th that the next day would bring victory to our arms if we could only take the initiative that I visited each division commander in person before any reinforcements had reached the field. I directed them to throw out heavy lines of skirmishers in the morning as soon as they could see and push them forward until they found the enemy, following with their entire divisions in supporting distance and to engage the enemy as soon as found. To Sherman, I told the story of the assault at Fort Donelson and said that the same tactics would win at Shiloh. Victory was assured when Wallace arrived, even if there had been no other support. I was glad, however, to see the reinforcements of Buell and credit them with doing all there was for them to do. During the night of the 6th, the remainder of Nelson's division, Buell's army, crossed the river, and were ready to advance in the morning, forming the left wing. 
two other divisions crittenden's and mccook's came up the river from savannah in the transports and were on the west bank early on the seventh buell commanded them in person my command was thus nearly doubled in numbers and efficiency during the night rain fell in torrents and our troops were exposed to the storm without shelter i made my headquarters under a tree a few hundred yards back from the river bank my ankle was so much swollen from the fall of my horse the friday night preceding and the bruise was so painful that i could get no rest the drenching rain would have precluded the possibility of sleep without this additional cause some time after midnight growing restive under the storm and the continuous pain i moved back to the log house under the bank this had been taken as a hospital and all night wounded men were being brought in their wounds dressed a leg or an arm amputated as the case might require and everything being done to save life or alleviate suffering the sight was more unendurable than encountering the enemy's fire and i returned to my tree in the rain the advance on the morning of the seventh developed the enemy in the camps occupied by our troops before the battle began more than a mile back from the most advanced position of the confederates on the day before it is known now that they had not yet learned of the arrival of buell's command possibly they fell back so far to get the shelter of our tents during the rain and also to get away from the shells that were dropped upon them by the gunboats every fifteen minutes during the night the position of the union troops on the morning of the seventh was as follows general lew wallace on the right sherman on his left then mcclernand and then hurlbut nelson of buell's army was on our extreme left next to the river crittenden was next in line after nelson and on his right mccook followed and formed the extreme right of buell's command my old command thus formed the right wing while the troops directly under buell constituted the left wing of the army these relative positions were retained during the entire day or until the enemy was driven from the field in a very short time the battle became general all along the line this day everything was favorable to the union side we had now become the attacking party the enemy was driven back all day as we had been the day before until finally he beat a precipitous retreat the last point held by him was near the road leading from the landing to corinth on the left of sherman and right of mcclernand about three o'clock being near that point and seeing that the enemy was giving way everywhere else i gathered up a couple of regiments or parts of regiments from troops nearby formed them in line of battle and marched them forward going in front myself to prevent premature or long-range firing at this point there was a clearing between us and the enemy favorable for charging although exposed i knew the enemy were ready to break and only wanted a little encouragement from us to go quickly and join their friends who had started earlier after marching to within musket range i stopped and let the troops pass the command charge was given 
and was executed with loud cheers and with a run when the last of the enemy broke. End of section 24. Recording by Jim Clevenger, Little Rock, Arkansas. Jim at jocclev.com.